Welcome, listeners, to the Elmore Leonard's podcast. Uh, we're here breaking down all of his films, short stories, and full full-length novels, uh, and just talking about the films uh, that were adapted from his work. Uh, the hosts here: I'm Al. I'm Ken. And I'm Drew. Uh, and uh, we have a special guest today. Uh, he's a writer. He's a comedian. He's a Henry Rollins lookalike. Um, and uh, he's here. He's going to cut it up with uh, Mr. Majestic with us. Welcome, uh, Mike Church. Ah, thank you, guys. So happy to be here. Yeah, no, thanks for hooking up. You are in China, and so you are eight hours it's 12 hours ahead of us so it's right. early in the morning for you uh yeah. you're having your coffee that's right and uh we're about to go to bed we're in our pjs so it's a uh, it's a beautiful thing you're ready to go to bed at eight o'clock like an old old person huh? yeah well like a like someone who has a toddler in the house mm. yeah <laughs> Where I have to tiptoe around after 8 p.m. because I don't want to wake the beast. So let's dive into uh, your latest work. Um, I guess I could have introduced you as M. Anton Church uh, because that's your pen name. Uh, right. But back in what was it? Um, towards the end of last year, you published your short stories. I published it in February of. Uh, 2021. Okay. Year. Yeah. Uh, so I'll put I'll put a link to the Amazon uh, where people can buy it. Link in the description. Um, but it's great. It's called The Have Nots. It's a collection of 13 short stories. I read them. Um, I, I liked it a lot. My favorite one was uh, one called uh, Passing Through. Oh yeah, okay. Because I love I love a good old uh, heist story. Um, I love it even more when they're in small towns. Gave me that sort of uh, the getaway vibe. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and I loved the dynamic of the two characters because the one that was prior military at first is pretty stable, and Rate is sort of. He's the wild card, so that's a great dynamic. But all of a sudden, it kind of shifts a little bit when uh, uh, when the military, the, the stable one, starts talking about his time in the military and stuff like that. So I, I don't want to give anything more away, but um, right. But I definitely would say that that's that's definitely one of the the stories that would be inspired by Elmore Leonard for sure. Yeah, exactly. Because and you, you don't you don't utilize the same tools as him, but I could see a lot of dialogue. You know, there'd just be pages and pages of dialogue in an Elmore book, where you, I almost lose lose track of who's talking, and I have to go back and say, "Oh wait, that's the next line." Okay, that the next line's the next person. Blah blah blah. Um, yeah, that definitely had an Elmore vibe to it. I mean, heist villains. Uh, really uh, uptight, ignorant sheriffs or deputies, you know, that sort of thing. It, it is great. You're you're in that vein. Right, right, exactly. Sweet. I also loved at the end of it you have an you you have an appendix 
that like crit critically unpacks each short story. Um, right. Yeah, that actually was an idea from from my editor. Um, yeah. He he was like, some things are a bit ambiguous, and some readers don't like the ambiguity. So maybe yeah. just have this in case they have some questions or whatever. I mean, yeah. I kind of like the idea that there's questions, uh, so that just like when when we were in high school, we were sitting there like uh, analyzing books and stuff like Fahrenheit 451. When I was in high school, we, we analyzed that. Johnny got his gun. And so I was, I kind of sometimes have in my mind, like, oh, I'd like people to just analyze my book, you know, and yeah, <laughs> what was he thinking? What, what, what did he really mean? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that, and that's the, the other thing too, is I tried so many different like styles, um, uh, different, uh, genres, viewpoints, uh, just so anybody who gets the book, uh, it's not all just one style. It's not all just one genre everybody can read it and enjoy some different type of stories. So, um, yeah. You have a heist in one, you have, uh, I mean, it opens the, it opens up with a really quick, uh, short story that is only maybe two pages, three pages. Yeah. About a guy just sitting there, uh, smoking a cigarette, looking out the window, watching the clouds go by. Right. Um, yeah. So right there, though, that just summarizes like my style, I think, right away in, in such a short, short way. Yeah. No, it, it definitely has a, a whole range. You, you uh, dig into the whole spectrum of, of style. Right. Right. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people t tell me they like Unwanted as well. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. About the... Uh, the, the orphan. The orphan, yeah. I mean, as as a as an author, I shouldn't say favorite, but the one that uh, that I really really enjoy is uh, the one about the six time con. Okay. And and the reason being, and it, and when I think I I mentioned it maybe in the introduction or something, but that one sat in my laptop for two years or so with just a title and a paragraph. I was like, I don't know what I want to do with this. Because all I had was the title for so long. And and then just one day, boom, it dawned on me. Oh, this is what I want to do with it. And I just really, really like it because it's written as if the, the, the main character is talking to you directly. It's actually supposed to be written as he's talking, not, not as it's read. So I sometimes recommend to readers maybe read it out loud uh, because it has to it has to do with because he's uneducated the main character is uneducated and and, and he's just basically talking to the reader the whole time through and uh, a few people who uh, gave me some feedback about it they say oh yeah you know like the first page or something it's really difficult to get into anytime you're doing that. Uh, writing in a, a certain accent or something like that yeah, vernacular yeah, yeah it, it makes people it makes it a little bit difficult for people to to get into it but once you once you're in like a page or so uh then you get into it well like um who's that one author the one who did train train spotting uh he always writes in the scottish accent 
Irving Walsh. My, yes, Irving Welsh. So even my Scottish friends think, oh man, it's so difficult to read, and I'm Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> even even um like Mark Twain, so yeah. like he throws in the vernacular of of dialogue. You're like, okay, let me, yeah, like you're saying, it, it takes your brain a little bit to get going if you jump in cold. Uh -huh. And and the same thing with Steinbeck. Steinbeck did that too. I read a short story. Uh, maybe about two or three years ago, and uh, it was supposed to be these two guys on the New York subway, and and they were they were talking with the New York accent, and I was like, what? Wait, hold on a second, you know? And I, I mean, me growing up in New York, I should be used to it, right? <laughs> but but reading it, it's like I have to agree with my Scots friends, like yeah. reading yeah. it and. And listening to it is two different things. So that's why I I started to read that one out loud, and that's probably why I made that suggestion to to readers is maybe read it out loud, you know. Yeah. No, that's interesting because I feel like a good treatment for that would be a um, like a, a monologue play, a short monologue play in something like a new new works festival or something. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, I would, I would like to do that for an open mic one day. I think that's what I would do. That'd be cool. Yeah. Mm. It's a bit long though for an open mic, I think. Huh? Well, screw them. <laughs> screw them. Strap <laughs> yeah. in, everyone. You're dealing with this. I got to deal with Banjo Guy over here. So I, I, I'll have to advertise it as published author M. Anton Church reads his work <laughs> <laughs> or just sign your name on like three or four slots and be like don't worry i'll i'll fill them <laughs> yeah there you go but do it non-consecutively so you'll go up like every fifth person as i was saying let me continue where i left off and then do another 15 minute set <laughs> yeah. or or uh or if someone is about to sign your name, oh, I'm sorry, this one's already reserved. <laughs> um, I think now's a good transition into the Elmore, Elmore Leonard's 10 Rules of Writing, which I, I won't go into every detail and we won't go through all of them. Right. But I feel like you could sum most of them up with don't fill your prose. Whoa. <laughs> well, uh, Mike is recording this from a uh, racetrack. <laughs> ah, that was on your side. Yeah, that was that was Rochester. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. Drew, oh. you little shit. <laughs> you uh, you went to NASCAR this weekend, and now you're no. I'm fine. You, yeah, just keep recording. Al, Al, I thought I thought your 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 daughter was dragging a chair across the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, honey. Thank you, sweetie. Yep. Thank you very much. Um. Anyways, I, I pretty much you could sum up his his rules of writing uh, as be concise and don't uh, don't fill your book with unnecessary stuff. He calls it hoopty doodle. Right, and he does it in a very humorous, humorous way with illustrations yeah. and 
yeah. yeah it's a cool book i'm looking at it right now uh, i got it for dad the, um, but i but i also uh you hadn't mentioned before but i also teach creative writing at the university here as well so i actually teach creative writing to uh second language learners um and, and even though i'm in china not all of my students are chinese i've actually had a couple of uh, indonesian students as well okay. yeah um and so i've actually quoted elmore leonard uh a couple of times in the class as well because there's some but i have to say this i i agree with some things and other things i don't agree with um because like he has the thing about never use a verb other than said to carry a dialogue. And even you were saying earlier that uh, sometimes Elmer Leonard has people talking and then you lose who's supposed to be talking. And then you yeah. have to go back and, and kind of count it to, to figure out. But me, I use, uh, there's a thing called speech tags, which is like, uh, talking, you know, explaining what people are saying, how they're saying things, or what they're doing while they're saying. Okay. I have a tendency, I think, if you if you notice in my writing, is I I tend to put more action with the dialogue um, than to just say this person said or this person yelled or what have you. You know, I, I will say something like he yelled while shaking his fist in the air or something. Um, where, so when it's like something special, like yelled, or I need to explain how they said something, uh, then, I, then I will use it. Um, but then I also teach my students about pace, and I tell them that if someone is having an argument or something, uh, or they're in a heated discussion, or they're trying to run away from someone, mm -hmm. then your dialogue doesn't need these speech tags. You need, the, you need it to just keep moving. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so in, in that case, uh, that, that's just one of the few cases that I remember in my head that I kind of disagreed with because I also read, um, Rosemary's baby and, uh, that author literally just had, he said, she said, he said, she said, I'm like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> it's written by a computer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because, you know, Elmore Leonard's uh, dialogue, for the most part, is pretty quick fire. Uh, yeah. And I, I heard someone say, because people often make the mistake of saying that he, oh, he writes like what you would hear on the street. And that's not true at all. He writes what people think they'll hear on the street. Mm. Right. No, no one talks like that. No one is that smooth. A dialogue doesn't go that well, you know, obviously it's written, it's fiction, but the, the, the reality it's, it's, it's taken from what we think is on the, you know, the talk of the streets. That sort of well, thing. the, the one trick, most, a lot of authors say that they have difficulty with dialogue and the one thing about dialogue or people having conversations is that if you were to really just record people having conversations, it's quite boring. <laughs> yeah. If you're not if you're not part of their conversation, one, you don't really know what's going on. Two, it's not really that interesting. There's a lot of ums and uhs and 
mm, go off on tangents. And, but when you're writing a story or a screenplay, you need to make sure that it's it's following the the plot and 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 it's keeping everything moving and it's important to to what's happening at that moment. Um, and that's what's key about it. And so any author uh, who knows what they're doing, that's what it needs to do. It needs to be entertaining and it needs to move the plot. Nice. Yeah. Um, I remember when we took our road trip to New York, which is, that was like an eight hour drive from the mid Atlantic. We never stopped talking. I thought there would have been a lull in our conversation, but we were, we were just riffing the whole time. Well, if there was ever a lull though, you decided that you were going to open up a book and make an audio file for me. <laughs> <laughs> thing about the Elmer Leonard book though I, I definitely highly recommend reading it it's only about a uh, 100 pages something like that it's really yeah. really yeah there's only teen rules. read it in like less than an hour yeah and it's very humorous but very helpful especially if you're a, a new writer and stuff yeah 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 because his whole thing is just like concision like just keep it concise and that's it you know, don't. And, and what's really cool about Elmore Leonard is he started out as a Western writer. Yeah. And maybe a lot of people don't know that because they, he's more famous for all of his crime fiction. Yeah. But, um, but in the beginning, he wrote a lot of Westerns. Well, 310 to Yuma, which was turned into a movie. That's his. Yeah. And, uh, and so I read that. And then, so you go into the early part of where he's transitioning from writing westerns to going into crime fiction, uh, then you can kind of still get that sort of feeling. Yeah, this uh, uh, Mr. Majestic is kind of a good example of that. Exactly, I was just about to say that. Good transition, bro. Um, it's almost in the. I wish I would have written this down, but it's almost like. You have the template of a Western and you've painted over it with cr crime fiction. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's beautifully done in, in Mr. Majestic, I think. I think so. I think so. And, and, and like, I, like I said, yeah, it's a really good uh, demonstration of the transition from, uh, from Western into crime fiction, for sure. Yep. Uh, so yeah, Mr. Majestic came out in 1974, starring Charles Bronson, which I read, uh, who was like, uh, they called him Clark Kent, who'd been, no, Clark Gable, who'd been let out, left out in the sun too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, it uh, also has Linda Cristal, Alejandro Ray. Famously starred in The Flying Nun. Okay. What was that? Oh. <laughs> That's Sally Field. Oh, it's uh, a TV show, right? Yeah, it was a TV yeah. show. She had a big nun thing okay. in the winds of Puerto Rico, blew her, and she was a light. Okay. And, uh, 
he was the priest. Okay. <laughs> you know, you can't be going around getting in trouble like this. <laughs> and it wasn't very far from 1974. Okay. Yeah, no, it was right on the heels of it. Um, oh, so so then that accent wasn't put on. This this is how she naturally talks. Alejandro Ray. Alejandro Ray, yeah. that is. Yeah. Well, well I'm and, sure he could have turned it off. And uh, also. Oh, in, oh, no, I was thinking, oh, I thought you meant the girl. I thought the girl. Oh, uh, Linda Cristel, she is from Argentina. Yeah. Okay. Which is, um, if you've listened to our past episodes, most of the Westerns where they have to use a Latino or Latina or Hispanic, it's usually a white person with brown face. <laughs> so I was pleased to see that. Um, the casting was at least uh, true. Now, some Argentinians, or a good portion of Argentinians, are usually fair-haired, and like uh, so, I kind of think maybe they dyed her hair too to make her more Mexican-looking. They could have, they could have for sure, because she's yeah, she's lighter and uh, complected as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but as far as the transition from a Western, even the location of it in, in Colorado feels, you know, it's very Western. It's in, I looked it up, Edna, Colorado doesn't exist, but there's an Ed, Edna mine near oh, Rockbridge. Okay. Um, That's always fun too, as an author, is to make up the names of places like, uh, talking about a street that doesn't really exist and just yeah. I always wonder in my head will the reader like try to go down that street and go where the hell is this street <laughs> <laughs> well because we talked about that there's a there's a book called primeval uh, uh, and it takes place in Detroit and I like it because it, it name drops all sorts of downtown streets and where they are they're right on this these new condominiums that were built in the 80s right when the DM headquarters got built there um, so it would be perfect for a walking tour because a it's downtown and b because there's just so so much um but yeah yeah we'll run into maybe an avenue that doesn't exist and we get lost oh okay so he he mixes it up then i think for, when it comes to the crime novels and detroit and stuff because he's writing it at the time it's it's modern when it comes out those books are modern I think he sticks to them for the most part, uh, but for the westerns, you know, I think he takes some liberties, or whatever. But at least for this one, and who knows, like maybe they changed it for the movie or something like that. But Ed, Edna, Colorado, could only find a mine. Um, Ch Charles Bernstein did the score, who also did like Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. Really? Okay. So the score captured me for sure. There was a lot going on. It was like that sort of 70s. That, that very funky 70s. Yeah, funky, yeah. but like with country <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it had some good energy. It was like, it was sort of moving. Um, right, right. Moving the story along. Uh, Paul Caslow. Kelso. He plays uh -huh. the sort of small-time mobster at the very beginning where he uh, hires all the white people to pick the, the melons. So 
Yeah, what a weasel he is, though. Huh? Uh, yeah, and that's he got typecasted pretty much his entire career. He made an entire career just being that lean faced. You, you know, he just has a real punchable face because everyone hates him. <laughs> yeah. We saw him in Joe Kid also. Was he? Yep. All right. Well, this is an improvement for him. I was just, I was just telling Dad, um, it's nice to have a good film for a change because these <laughs> these last like three or four have been uh, dragging a little bit. There's call it the doldrums a little bit, but that's kind of how they got that bad rep. It wasn't the writing and that they make some bad movies. Yeah, it's maybe it was the era, maybe it was just, you know, making a movie is the next to impossible thing to do in the first place. So the end result is mixed. Yeah, uh, but uh, what one one thing I, I found kind of funny, though, is like, because like I said, he's like a bit weaselly. And like in the beginning, uh, when the shotgun gets taken away from him, yeah, it's like oh, that's that's a. Uh, not only is it like a like a very seventies sort of like uh, take, but it but it but it in it actually seems really believable because that guy's just so weaselly, you know. Yeah, and like yeah. I am just gonna talk to you, walk over to you, and take your shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> that's. That's how we deal with uh, Weasley people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but Charles Bronson playing that really calm under threats. They give him the ex. They give him the background of he was a Vietnam escaped from Special Force Green Beret instructor escaped from Vietnam with eight others. Right. So he's seen some stuff. He doesn't want anything. He just wants peace. On his farm, his melons, and he wants his. I need to get him in. I keep, need I, to get the melons in. I have to admit, when I read the blurb, I was thinking, "Oh, this is just going to be another like Walking Tall kind of thing," you know. Like, but it's not. It's not at all. No, it's um, yeah, it's got some slow burn elements to it that I like, and uh, Charles Bronson. He just after that, he made that career with the Death Wish movies. Death Wish. Oh, right. Yeah. The, yeah, it was like the the Liam Neeson movies of the seventies. Yeah, um, which is like I'm just full on revenge. Yeah, it right, seems right. reminiscent. It seems reminiscent of uh, Valdez's coming. Is like he just wants his melons. I just want my you know two hundred dollars. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. right. Typical sort of protagonist where there's just like, don't want any glitz and glamour. Well, what about the Mel Gibson movie Payback, where he's like, I just, I just want my money. And they <laughs> keep upping the price. They're like, give him the thirty-five thousand, and he just, he's like, God dang it, it's only fifteen thousand. Stop <laughs> making it more difficult. Give me that money back. You <laughs> thought it was thirty-five thousand? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was. That's a great movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the the ending line in that, which is, "Let's go get some breakfast." <laughs> you just like breakfast. Are you hungry? Did you skip dinner? 
I could I could do a breakfast for dinner situation right now. Like some Pop Tarts and I just bought a forty eight pack of Pop Tarts yesterday. No, you didn't. I did. Call my wife. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, brown sugar cinnamon and strawberry. Nice. Frosted or no frosting on those strawberry Pop-Tarts? Frosted. I prefer the not frosted. Uh, Me too. But uh, I'll take what I can get. It's a staple in our house. Nice. I haven't tried the pretzel one. I do like the s'more one. Surprise me. It was good. Good? Okay. (laughs) Give it a shot. Um, I really like the oh. uh, the opening music in Mr. Majestic. It, the music throughout, I felt, was was a good touch. And good. this movie, uh, unlike some of the others, uh, M. Leonard, M. Or Leonard was the writer on this movie. He's not always you know the screenplay direct or writer or the writer, but this time he was. Yeah, and this is that too. Yeah, this is his time in Hollywood where he's he is like driving out to Hollywood to deal with the, you know, that he would fit in to get Shorty. And this wasn't a book that was turned into a movie. He actually wrote the story to be made into a movie. And then I read where he later made a movie tie-in. Right, yeah. But the Mr. Majestic is a character from one of his other books, if I remember correctly. Uh, That's where he got the name from. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess I didn't do my homework like you did. Jesus. Well, if you, if you want to talk about homework, did you also know that there was a 1974 Ford commercial where they used the truck? <laughs> oh, the Majestic brand one? I don't know if they called it the Majestic brand. But, well, uh, yeah the majestic brand melons is written on the side that i just want to say that if that truck had feelings they were hurt at the end of this movie Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that truck goes through absolute hell from that stunt driver (laughs) all right um it's i guess for the listeners at home let's give them a synopsis so uh vincent majestic is a sort of a former Vietnam vet, but now he lives in Colorado. He owns 160 acres of watermelon farmland. And his whole thing is uh, he just needs to harvest. And that's all he's trying to do. Uh, but people are getting in the way. Local mob comes in, causes some trouble, which gets him in jail, which then on the transport from jail to the court uh there's a mobster on board played by al lettery yeah I, I, it may be letteri letteri like it's that. italian now he super famous he was in a movie with steve mcqueen called the getaway yeah ali mcgraw mm-hmm. and he was like the 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 guy you could not kill he, he shot him and, and uh, dennis berry and i had access to movie houses then and we went back once to see it just to count the shotgun shells and when he got to 25 that's within a box mm-hmm. he threw the shotgun away <laughs> out the window yeah. and got a pistol and went on yeah uh steve mcqueen trying to kill alitary <laughs> and he's a 
total dirtbag in that movie because he's sleeping with the hostage's wife right. while he's in the room. Right. <laughs> so he's doing he's doing a lot of psychological harm to this this poor couple that he has and and the hostages from mayberry he was a character in the andy griffith show (laughs) and the other one is is uh uh, archie bunker's daughter (laughs) so he's yeah he's um, that's the one he's abusing in front of her husband yeah so he's mayberry he's deflowering america he was also in the godfather yes he was, he was the in the yeah. restaurant with the yeah. police captain and Michael Carillo and have a sit down. He was a uh, Salazzo. Right. Yeah. Salazzo. Boom. And he chewed the scenery in this. He did. He, you know, like, he, you know, will you shut the fuck up? Well, you know, and it was uh, always like that, you know. And it's probably 90% 80 yard. They had to go back and dub. Oh yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, "Get the keys, yeah. the keys." <laughs> he's making a big face. So speaking of the transport, okay, going from the jail to the courthouse. Ah, yeah. Do any of you have in your notes money talks? No. The only, the only, the only thing I w- I I thought about in that is that all the shootouts that happen in the movies are perfect examples of Western. You can definitely see the Western influence in the shootout. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I had the the premise of Money Talks is that uh, Charlie Sheen and Chris Tucker, like 1997, 98. Right. He's talking about the helicopter. Yeah, but uh, yeah. he gets chained up with a high-profile mobster. Right which his buddies come in and release to help him escape. Right. So, so, yeah. Uh, so uh, Mr. Majestic actually comes from Elmore Leonard's book, The Big Bounce. And uh, The Big Bounce was actually Elmore Leonard's first crime novel. That's right. We covered it. We covered both movies because they made a, they made a remake in 2004. First one was in 1969. We covered both terrible movies. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, so, so Mr. Majestic is the guy who hires Jack Ryan. That's right. Uh, okay. It, nice. It's coming together. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, that, you, know, you, you know what else was, was very 70s about that movie? Is the typical thing where like cars go off of off of hills and then they explode because <laughs> <laughs> the yeah it's almost like they've been filled with gasoline and you're like well you just bumped into the cinder block man you did the whole thing exploded <laughs> you shouldn't even be driving these things or when our car brother, pulls up my brother always saying I'm, i was always afraid to, to get too close to the hill because i don't want my car to explode <laughs> Uh, during the shootout with the police and they were trying to get their uh their their mobster out of uh the the prison bus they drove up next to a car fired a shotgun once into the passenger side <laughs> cabin compartment and the whole thing just exploded off of one shotgun <laughs> shot to the dashboard <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. was a there's a detonate a self-destruct button on the dashboard and they happened to hit it i guess they don't make them like they used to, I guess. 
Um, I have a note here. Do you think, what do you think is at the craft services table during the shooting of this movie? Egg salad sandwiches. Well, I think dad nailed it. Machine gunned watermelon. Any <laughs> <laughs> of the leftover watermelon that the squibs didn't completely destroy. I took you can, everyone can eat them. I told Jim <laughs> the entire cast and crew took home watermelon. <laughs> so David had to have the pieces because there was enough whole ones. Just yeah. take the whole one. Yeah, here. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for your Thanks help for today. coming. Thanks for yeah, all the extras, yeah. all the extra yeah. migrant workers. Hey, take this. Jason. I'm going home with the watermelon instead of picking it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the guy's spitting out pits, but then he's like, wait a minute. This isn't a pit. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a couple I have a couple favorite parts from this movie. I loved the hair flip from uh, I think it was from our villain, uh, Alf Terry or um Literary. Literary. Yeah, Al Literary, yeah. <laughs> and I loved that he tried to slam the accordion door in the airstream that he gets picked up or like as part of like his get out of town or like make a, a smooth exit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wiley gets uh, someone to tow an airstream trailer. Right. And it's a nice looking airstream in the inside. But yeah, he tries to slam the accordion door in it. Yeah. That was a good point. You can't. Yeah, that yeah. reminds me of a Mitch Hedberg joke where it's like if you get in an argument when you're camping, you can't slam the door. There's you no can door only zip slamming. it. Zip, zip. <laughs> but I was going to ask you do, you, do you remember the Airstream from Justified? The TV I show? do. Oh, yeah. I, we watched. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here it is. The. the Raylan Givens. Raylan yeah. Givens has got he's got the motorhome. Or the bad guys do. Yeah. I forget. It got moved yeah. around. <laughs> that's um, that's also like uh nowadays with, with cell phones, you also can't slam the phone down, you know. When you're angry, you're like, all right, that does it. Where, where, where's the button? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm angrily using my thumb. Uh, there was a moment, see, there's a, certain DVD players have it. It's called an AB uh, function. So and there's an AB button. It's the same button. You hit it, it starts recording. When you hit it again, it'll repeat everything in between hitting those button, hitting the button twice. And I'm watching it on uh, through an Xbox because that's what we have now. And so those don't have an AB button. And that's a tragedy because there is a moment when they're at the cabin and he's infiltrating the cabin and fooling all of them and killing them. When he finally kills Frank R Renda, he dives and shoots in the window into the cabin, dives and shoots. And it's either under cranked or whatever because it goes super fast. It's the perfect A-B button moment where you hit that and it, it just repeats. <laughs> Were you saying like that's a great moment because you can see who the, the stunt double is? Well, I think, I think it was just because it was the camera was under cranked, so it was sped up. 
So just how quick it went, <laughs> just how quickly he jumps and shoots. Uh, I would right. love to see that on repeat because it's a great party gag. Because if you got a room, you know, a living room of eight people and you're watching a movie, like we did it with Hocus Pocus right before there's, um, what's the name of the character who's dead and comes back alive? Billy, right? Billy Bragg or something yeah. like that. Not that. But anyway, he's like a zombie. He's coming back to life and he's chasing them. And this is before they know he's a good guy. Yeah. And they take a branch and pull it back and release it and it knocks his head off well right before it knocks his head off you can see the dummy head <laughs> so we repeated it and we we're you know it was a party so we were under the influence so we were just dying laughing because it's just repeating over and so after the eighth or ninth time you're just like in tears just gut laughing so, yeah. <laughs> But, but yeah, I think they sped it up though because they wanted to cover up the the stunt double. That's what right. I guess. There was a he, lot of he's got like a. I think he's like wearing a wig or something. Watch it again. <laughs> You'll see. I think he's wearing like a the stunt double is wearing a wig, and it, it's it's <laughs> just ridiculous. Uh, I I love seeing, you know, when it's a woman's part and the stunt double is a man with a mustache. Yeah, that's what I like seeing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my your shoulders got so broad yeah. yeah just to jump over this uh parking garage and now i'm back to being slender again what's the big deal <laughs> a, a favorite part of mine also and this was uh during the they're chasing kind of a cat and mouse through the you know colorado mountains and kind of scrub mm -hmm. desert at one point, he comes up behind the maroon car and starts pushing off into the ravine. Just before it heads off into the ravine to the right, it, the car puts on its left blinker. And I said in a futile attempt at, at letting let the hero letting them get back to the left instead of to the right to the ravine. <laughs> I, could, I could see that being like a pain. A panic move yeah. from the driver, like, no, no, I, I'm trying to go this yeah. way. Yeah, what if I put my blinker on? They'll let me just get back on the road. I recommend a rewatch for that part alone. Wait. Yeah, no, it was it was good. It was, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of fluff to it. It still dove into, uh, you know, Frank Renda. He could have been. He, he could have been living at large, you know, in Acapulco or wherever they're going. And uh, right. uh, he just took it personal, yeah. you know, that he he messed with me. So yeah. I got to go back. And it was his undoing. I'm going to get the watermelon guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to have any watermelons after I'm done with him. <laughs> yeah, it would be a good catchphrase if he did kill him. Seedless. Uh, I liked uh, uh, Copas, the poor guy. He's just wandering around the whole movie like a lost puppy, trying to like fit in or get in the good graces. <laughs> and just he's just tossed aside, and then he finally realized he was on the wrong side. And yeah, he was. He's definitely a um, you know he's the kicker on the football team. 
and he's really trying hard to you know be <laughs> friends with the quarterback. <laughs> Come on, guys. I'm cool, right? He had his maybe he left, and like Copas was sounding pretty hopeful. He's like, maybe he left. <laughs> and they're yeah. at the and at the hunting cabin. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can just go get a bite to eat and just talk. <laughs> maybe some watermelons. Don't bring up watermelons around me. <laughs> get my melons. Wait. Well, well, what about how the uh, the girlfriend also just gave in so easily? Where are you? I'm going back inside. Come here. All right, get in the car with her. <laughs> just <laughs> gave up. Like, yeah. No, I mean, just, uh, to be fair, he did like send her out. You know, go find them. They're shooting at us. Go on, woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and that is another western. Uh, a lot of his short stories were uh, there's just these villainous, you know, ranch uh, proprietors and they they're being unkind to their to, to their women. And, uh, you know, the upstanding good guy uh, to to the scorned woman is, is like, oh, here's my ticket out of here. Uh, that's a re recurring theme. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you convinced me. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you got any watermelon in the back? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that we pretty much covered it. Um, yeah, he, he, it would be cool though to get like a shot up watermelon, you know, as like a, like a token. <laughs> yeah, as looks a, Mr. Majestic, and all I got was a shot up watermelon. <laughs> I played teller number four in Mr. Majestic, and all I got was this. Would you take it home and preserve it somehow? Put it in some sort of, I don't know, put it in a shadow box like uh, the movie. A shadow box? <laughs> I, and then you like tell all your friends, this one time I was in Mr. Majestic, and they shot up the watermelons. This is the one I got. And it's just a, a, a dwindling rind in a shadow box with a few <laughs> I believe I believe you could preserve it if you uh, like completely coated it in like a clear epoxy and just had like a, a cube of epoxy yeah. with the watermelon contained on the inside. It'd probably last for some years. Yeah. 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 The reason why well, I say the reason why I say shadow box is because as a going away, it was, it was funny. It was like, I was going away, but I got you a present. I got Micah. I put the movie revolver by Guy Ritchie in a shadow box and I gave it to Mike. And so that way, when people come over, they'd be like, really? You love this movie so much. You put it in a shadow box. <laughs> You're like, you son of a, <laughs> I think you sent me a photo of like you know you and the family doing something and it was on the wall I'll, total credit like you yeah put it yeah up. yeah I, I, I still put it on the shelf 
because it's by far his worst movie. And I remember you telling me about it when it came out. This is when Blockbuster still existed. And you were like, yeah, I watched it. It was awful. And then I went home and I said, I'm going to watch it and love it just to spite Mike. <laughs> so I was just like really ready to be like, no, this is a good movie. And I just couldn't, couldn't get through it. Weird, because I actually did like, I like Gerard Butler in it. I don't know why you don't like it. Oh, yeah, probably. You're such an amateur. Nothing? <laughs> no. No, but actually, it's been so long since I saw the response. movie, I don't even remember anything about it. But I, yeah. but I, but it's it, but it's his second to last worst movie, because the other one is the one where Madonna is like stranded on an island. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that one, so you're probably right. <laughs> Madonna and Guy Ritchie. Mm. Takes you back. Sweet. Well, I think we can wrap this up. We've got um, plenty of material, I think. So uh, can I can I plug my my latest writing before I leave? Yeah, yeah, please do. Okay, so right now I'm actually working on a crime fiction of all things. Um, and it's about a guy who commits a crime and he has to go into hiding. Um, but then uh, he's his uh, sister-in-law finds him and tells him he needs to come back to New York to save his brother's life. So he's willing to come out of hiding to to save his brother. Nice. And that's the, the next book I'm I'm working on. We I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Maybe um, about two years or so, you know. I'm I'm definitely pushing to but I really want this to since this is gonna be my first published novel, I want it to be pristine as best as possible. Yeah, yeah. I like it. No, I love it. Yeah, check out his uh, short stories, The Have-Nots, link in the description. And um, yeah, cool. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, getting up early and uh, 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 no, dealing it was with cool. the Drew, Drew I, haven't, I haven't seen you in what, like 10 years? Something crazy like that? Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. More than that. It was yeah. probably 2007 when Drew was visiting.